This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This is a two-part study. I don't know if I'll get around to both parts, but we will do the front one. And if I get time sometime, we'll do the second one as well. You'll notice it says part one up there by the title. And so there'll be another chart just like this one, except with different scriptures. It covers part two of this. And uh, we'll follow the outline today from top to bottom on the left side. If we study the second part, we'll go top to bottom on the right side. Uh, the Red Sea and baptism there are the separating lines between the two parts. So we'll stay on the left side this morning. And on each and every point, we will go point one at the top, point one down at the bottom, down below it. And we'll follow that kind of uh, journey as we go through this chart together. So you'll know, you'll know kind of how I'm going, and you can see it on the screen, and I'll be marking a little bit on the, the copy here as well. Let's introduce with Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Romans 15 and verse 4. The Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. He talks about what things were written aforetime, and he said they're written for our learning. The Old Testament is full of types. The New Testament contains the antitype to that. The Old Testament is full of shadows, and the New Testament is the substance of those shadows what they're designed to portray or to foretell. For example, when you study the Old Testament, Moses is a type of Christ. He's, he's like Jesus in so many ways. We'll see some of that in just the study today. David is a type of Christ. When you study the Passover back in the book of Exodus, that is a type of Christ. That Passover lamb is a type of Jesus, just as that lamb was sacrificed and the blood put on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over and not harm the children of Israel. Christ is our Passover. And if His blood has been applied to us at the second death, we'll be passed over. And so He is our Passover. There are just all kinds of types and shadows back there in the Old Testament. All kinds of things we could mention. One of them specifically we'll study today and that's the Red Sea crossing. That's the, le the leaving of Egyptian bondage. And the crossing of a Red Sea is the type of our salvation from sin. And then secondly, the journey from the Red Sea on to the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, is a type of the journey you and I are on right now. We are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, the Bible says. We're just passing through. We sing a song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through because we're on a journey right now. You and I are pilgrims and we're walking along together, helping each other through this journey and through the difficult parts. And we're all trying to reach the promised land. Israel was a type of this. And let's read it now from 1 Corinthians 10 and notice how Paul uh, mentions the baptism of Israel at the Red Sea. And uh, then he talks about this journey. So let's read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 12. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. So you see there in verse 6, where Paul said, now all these things were, were examples. These things were our examples. He says they're written for our admonition. They're great lessons that we can learn in these. And so Paul is comparing then the deliverance from Egyptian bondage to our deliverance from the bondage of sin. And he's saying that their deliverance back there was a type of ours. And that's what we want to study in this particular segment of this two-part study today. So let's look now at some, some things that are, are very similar, that are types here. One of them is the, the Israelites, as we notice there on the chart, they were slaves to sin. They are slaves to Egypt, I'm sorry. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. And let's read about that bondage. We read in Exodus 1, verse 13 and 14, The Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Now notice that. Notice their bondage here. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So they worked them hard. They worked them in mortar and brick. They had them building and constructing. Uh, we're told here in Scripture that they worked in the field. So it was a very hard life. Imagine having to get up every day and you're a slave. And all the productivity that you are engaged in that day, you don't reap the reward of it. You don't get any benefit. So they go to the fields of Egypt and they work them like slaves out there, which they are. But they don't get anything out of it. They maybe get enough to sustain themselves and their families. When they, when they build bricks, buildings for, for Pharaoh, these treasure cities like Pithom and Ramses, they don't realize anything out of their labor. There's no reward for them. You and I go to work every day. We make a living for ourselves, don't we? For our family, we provide. And sometimes we, we receive things in abundance and we can lay a little bit up if we need it. Sometimes there's some extra that we have to give to other people. But they didn't, have that, they didn't have that situation. They were slaves. And so the Bible compares this kind of slavery to sin. There are people today, just like Israel was in bondage down there in Egypt, they're slaves to sin, and they're not getting anything out of it either. In fact, they're ruining their lives, and they're wrecking their lives because sin is a very cruel master. We read here in Romans 6, verse 16 to 18, Paul told the Romans, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. 
But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So he talks about whoever we yield to as servants, we're his servants. Whoever we choose to obey, we're in slavery to them. We can obey, uh, we can obey sin unto death with the result being death, or we can obey you know, the Lord in righteousness unto life. And so we make that choice. Sin is a tough, cruel, it's a tough, cruel taskmaster. There are a lot of people today that are slaves to sin, and as I said a moment ago, they don't get a reward out of that. Just like Israel never got a reward down in Egypt, the wages of sin is death. Sin doesn't give anything. It gives some pleasure for a little while. But you look at people that are slaves to sin today, and what's, what's wrong? Their lives are a wreck many times. You'll find in a lot of, of different people's lives, you'll find drug problems. You'll find alcoholism. You'll find uh, a very bad situation in the home or in the family. You'll find lives that are just in shambles. You'll find people that have no real goals and purposes in their life. And so they waste many times their life. In the days of their youth when they could be educating themselves and preparing to make a decent living for themselves and their family, they waste their youth away. They do not get the training or the education process they need. And so their lives are made so much more difficult because they don't bring any skills or any things to a job that somebody would want to employ them at a very good wage. Sin's just very tough. And then what's it going to give us in the end? Death. You see, it doesn't have a good payday, does it? It just doesn't. It's kind of like the bondage of, of, of Israel down there in Egypt. There's just nothing good comes out of it. So that, that bondage and that slavery in Egypt then is a type of slavery to sin. And Paul, when he talked about the Romans, he said, God be thanked. He said, you were the servants of sin. That word servant means a slave. He talks about what they were. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But he said, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. He talked about what they were and what they became, and there was a process. They were servants of sin, but they obeyed some form of doctrine from their heart, and it made them free from sin when they did, and so they became servants of righteousness. They went from a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. You and I are going to serve someone. We're just going to serve someone. Really, all we do is choose our master. That's really what we do, but we're going to serve someone. And there's freedom in serving Christ, and there's slavery in sin. And Paul talked about this very clearly there in Romans 6 that we just read. Now let's look further at another analogy here. These Israelites could not deliver themselves. They couldn't deliver themselves from Egypt. And so they needed a deliverer, and God raised one up, and that deliverer's name was Moses. Let's read about him. We read now in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 to 10. This is at the burning bush. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. 
for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. So now he's raised up a deliverer, Moses, and he said, I'm going to send you to Egypt. I've seen the affliction there of my people. I've seen their bondage. I've seen their sorrow. I've seen how their lives are ruined. I'm going to bring them out of there, and I'm going to take them to a good land, and I'm going to bless them, God tells him. And so here's the deliverer that they needed. His name is Moses. Now, as I said earlier, he is a type of Jesus. You and I have been in sin, and we're, we're unable to deliver ourselves. Just like Israel could not get out of Egypt, we can't get out of sin on our own. We've got to have somebody to deliver us. If we can get out of sin on our own, we didn't need Christ, did we? And yet God knew we needed a deliverer. He sent, his, he sent Jesus. And so we have this deliverer. Let's talk about what the Bible says about him. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22 to 26, and you'll see this type now where Moses tells, Moses tells Israel, the Lord your God is going to raise you up a prophet like me, like me. And so Moses understood he was to be a type of this Messiah that would come, this Christ. And so here's the quote now that Peter makes to the Jews. Acts 3 verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, and this is a quote out of the book of Deuteronomy, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So he talks about this deliverer now that God's raised up, and that's Christ. You can see that just as Moses here was sent to be the deliverer for Israel, Christ was sent to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Now, Moses had a real question, a real problem that he asked God about. There at the burning bush, when, when God told Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, I'm going to send you back to your people, and you're to lead them out of this Egyptian bondage. Moses talked to God and he said, How are people going to believe me? How are they going to believe that I've spoken to their God? Why should they put their confidence in me? You see, he wondered, How in the world can I persuade these people down here that are in slavery to follow me? Moses. He'd been gone 40 years from Egypt. Remember, the first 40 years of his life, he was raised in the palace. And the second 40 years now he spent over in the land of Midian herding sheep. 
because he killed an Egyptian and had to flee Egypt. Now he's 80 years old and he's at the burning bush and God's telling an 80-year-old man, I want you to go back to Egypt and, and, and bring my people out of bondage. And Moses said, how in the world are they going to listen to me? Now Moses lived to be 120, the first 80 years of his life were not spent leading God's people, but the last 40 were. And now God's telling him how the people are going to believe him. Let's look at Exodus 4 and verse 1 to 9. Moses answered and said, Behold, but they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And he cast it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And uh, the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, nor hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So God gives him at least three signs right there to convince the people. Now he will bring the plagues later on, but the first one is he's to take the rod of God and throw it to the ground. And when he does, it becomes a serpent. And then he picks it up by the tail and it changes back into a rod. That's a pretty incredible sign. Pretty incredible. The second sign, he said, you put your hand inside your bosom. And he put his hand in there and when he pulled it out, it was full of leprosy. So he put it in again and it was pulled out and this time it looked like his other flesh. Just clean. He said, if they won't believe those two signs, you go down to the river and get some water. You dip out of that river and you pour that water on the ground and that turned to blood. Now that would get your attention. He said, if they won't believe the first two signs, they'll believe the third. So Moses wrought these signs then in the presence of Israel to convince them. That's what he'll do. These are the signs that God gave him. When Jesus came to this earth, he had a similar situation. How in the world would people believe he was from God? How would they believe he had a message from God? How was he going to convince them? God gave him the ability to work miracles as we know. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do we read? All kinds of miracles done by Christ. Incredible miracles. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 there, John writes of some of these, but he says many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So when the Lord came, he began to work all kinds of miracles. 
What's one of the first ones he did? John 2.11, he turned water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. An incredible miracle and furnished the guest with wine. He took food and multiplied it and took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 and gathered up more fragments than when he started. That's pretty incredible. He walked on the Sea of Galilee. He opened the eyes of people born blind. No one had ever seen that before. He cleansed lepers. He cast out devils. He healed all manner of sicknesses. He raised the dead even. When you start looking at all the mighty works of Christ and His great miracles, they were done, John said, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, so that we could believe He was sent from God. Just like Moses did His signs, Jesus did signs. You see, that was a type, and Christ was the fulfillment of it. It was foreshadowing Him. Okay? It's just part of this whole process. So we note here that Moses did signs, to produce faith in Him, and Christ did mighty miracles to produce faith in Him. And these signs Moses did worked. Exodus 4, verse 29 to 31 with me. Moses and Aaron went out and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So now they believed. The signs actually worked when Moses did those, and they believed in him. Same with Jesus. In, in John 8 and verse 24, Christ said on one occasion to the Jews, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And these signs are given to produce that faith. How many of you would believe in Christ if you didn't read His miracles? It'd be hard to believe in Him, wouldn't it? It'd be very difficult without these great miracles. It just would. But when you open this book and you begin to read these mighty things that He did, that's why they're there. They're some of the greatest evidence God could ever give us as to who Christ is and that He sent Him. And so they produced the faith that we need. In Exodus 12 now, in verse 37, it wasn't enough for God to send them a deliverer and Moses to do the sign and the people to believe. They had to literally get up and leave Egypt. You know, it, 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 there just reaches a point you've got to get up and leave. If you're going to get out of slavery, you've got to leave. You've got to walk out of there. We read in Exodus now, 12 and 37, that the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. So we've got a large group of people now that got up and left Egypt. But that's not the end of the journey. Let's read on. In Exodus 14, 9 and 10, But the Egyptians pursued after them. All their horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pihatharoth uh, before Baal-Phezon, or Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. 
Now notice that when we, when we leave, when they left, they weren't free from Egypt. They had to get up and leave, but they're not free yet because why? Because Egypt still follows them. It's still with them. It's still pursuing. It's still trying to destroy them. They're after them. The same thing's true with us when we leave sin. You know, we can have a deliverer, Christ, and we do. He can do great signs to convince us who He is, and He did. We can believe in Jesus, and we do. But you've got to get up physically and leave. You've just got to leave sin. And that's repentance. You've got to turn. Just like Israel had to leave Egypt, we've got to leave sin. You can't continue in it. As long as you continue, you're a slave. And so like them, you, you get up and leave. Let's read now some scripture about that where we're, we're taught about this repentance and all and this leaving of sin. Acts 3.19 Peter said to, to the Jews, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So he commands them to repent. And then we read in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There comes a time, you see, we've got to have a godly sorrow for what we've done. There's a sorrow of the world, but this is called a godly sorrow, and I want you to notice what the Bible says about it. It works, it works repentance. That's what it does, and you can't repent without it. And when there is this godly sorrow for what we've done, if we genuinely have that, it will begin to work a change in our life. It will result in a change of mind that results in a change of life or action. This is that process of repentance. So just like Israel physically left Egypt, we've got to leave sin. We've got to change our mind about it. And, uh, and leave it. Now we're still not saved at that point because what I want to stress is that when Israel left Egypt, they're not saved. They're at the Red Sea and they're camped there, but what, what's Egypt doing? Well, they overtook them right there at the Red Sea. So they believe in Moses and they've repented of their, of their things. They've left Egypt, but they're still in bondage. When you and I believe in Christ, and we repent of sins, we're still in bondage. We're still in slavery. The type here is not finished. The deliverance has not yet been made. And that's what Paul's trying to teach us here in Corinthians as we follow this. Now they've left Egypt. That's fine. We've got to do that, and we've got to leave sin. But we're still slaves. What really brought about Israel's deliverance? It was a baptism. And let's let Paul describe it now in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 and 2. Let's read that together. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The next thing they had to do was be baptized. And he said they were baptized in the cloud and in the sea, because... When they crossed the Red Sea, remember, there was a cloud overhead. And on each side of them was a heap of water, walls of water. And they walked through that seabed on dry ground. But you see, they were surrounded by the cloud and by the water. They were immersed. It was an immersion. 
and it was called a baptism unto Moses. When they reach the other side, they're going to have deliverance. But they had to go through this baptism process of crossing the Red Sea. And so Paul's using this as a type of our deliverance in the act of baptism. See it? These are all types. He says they're written for our learning. Now let's notice Israel's crossing of the sea. Exodus 14, verse 13 to 22. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will show you this day. Look at that. You're about to be saved, he tells them. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because they were fearing. They're camped by the Red Sea and they've got a sea in front of them and Egypt's still with them, pressing upon them, overtaking them. How in the world are they going to get across that water? How in the world are they going to be delivered? Moses said, just stand still a minute. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord, which He'll show you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and shall, ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed, and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it, became, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the seed dry land. And the waters were divided, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So this cloud now is Christ. He's in the cloud. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, the Bible says, and that rock was Christ. And so the Word was back there, you see, with them in that crossing of the sea. And so as they get near the sea, and they are there, this cloud that's been in front of them leading them moves and goes back here, and it becomes a wall. And it, it, it gives darkness over here to the camp of Egypt. Over here on this side, there's light. And Moses stretches the rod out, and this sea begins to divide. An east wind blows these waters back all night. And so there's a wall on one side and a wall on the other and the clouds overhead. And now he says, he tells them to go forward and they're baptized. This is a baptizing in this crossing that provides their deliverance. That's the type he wants us to see here. In Romans 6 now, verse 3 to 7, Paul describes the same thing for us. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ we're baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And I think I left Galatians 3 off that I wanted to read. And I've got, I, I did not, uh, looks like I've left that off in the order I wanted to give it. Galatians 3, let's read 26 to 29. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So just like they then were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, you and I are baptized into Christ. All right? Now let's notice something about what happened in their baptism when they crossed that sea. Exodus 14. And y'all watch this closely now because it's very significant. Exodus 14, verse 23 to 28. And notice about the Egyptians and what's said here. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that a great work, saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now notice here that, that uh, these Egyptians were destroyed in the sea. All their enemies, right here. Now they're free. Now they're free because when the Egyptians, you see, they stayed with them until they got into the waters here. and went right in. That's what happens with us in baptism. We still have our sins as we enter the act of baptism. They still had the Egyptians pursuing as they were baptized unto Moses. But when they went in here and they came up out of the other side of this and had been baptized... The Egyptians here were all destroyed in the sea. The waters came back and overflowed and just destroyed every one of them. And, and Moses, Moses tells him, you're going to see the salvation of the Lord this day. And brethren, this is what we want to get here. This day is when Israel was saved. They were not saved when they left Egypt. They were not saved when they believed in Moses. They were saved when they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and sea when they crossed that sea. Then, then the Egyptians were destroyed. Now look at Romans 6 with me that I read a little bit prematurely there. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. Listen, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's when the destruction of our sins takes place in this act. Just like the Egyptians were destroyed in the sea, 
Sin is destroyed in baptism. See the analogy Paul's making? And so that's, that's the day of salvation is when we're baptized. We have people that say, no, you're saved when you believe or when you repent. No, you're not. The type here is, the type is that Israel was not yet out of bondage until they had been baptized unto Moses and the Egyptians destroyed there in the sea. And that is a type of how we're still in bondage to sin until we're baptized into Christ and sin is destroyed in the act of baptism. This was what that was to typify. So you see, in these old types back here, we learn a lot of things about our salvation. And so when you read scriptures like Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That was all uh, foretold back here in this Red Sea crossing. That was all portrayed. It was a type of our deliverance in that act. So we, we can begin to see how this just bolsters things that are taught in the New Testament. And now one final thing I want us to notice. And that is that the Israelites were saved that day. And I just mentioned it. But let's read it again from Exodus 14, 29 to 31. The children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Now notice verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. So if you ever wonder when was when was Israel really delivered from Egyptian bondage? At their baptism. And that's the type of ours, you see. He saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. In like manner in our baptism, Acts 2 and verse 36, read with me. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, Peter said, that God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he says if you'll repent and be baptized, you'll have remission, and you'll receive the Spirit. He said the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. There were added unto them the same day 3,000 souls. Just like Israel then was delivered that day, that day and the Egyptians destroyed, you and I are delivered the same day we're baptized into Christ. And sins are destroyed in that act. And that's the analogy we should get through here. And you can see every step of the way, the type that's spelled out for us in the New Testament. And anyone that wants to leave sin today has got to go through this same process. In order for Israel to be delivered from Egyptian slavery, 
they had to go through this process. They had to believe in Moses. They had to leave Egypt. They had to be baptized unto Moses. They were saved that day. You and I have to believe in Christ. We have to leave sin. We have to repent. We have to be baptized into Christ. And when we do, we're saved that day. This is the type. Now, beloved, they had a journey from there. They're delivered from Egypt, but they haven't reached the promised land. We've got folks that say, well, once you're saved, why, well, you're already saved for life. You've got everlasting life right there. They didn't have the promised land, did they? They've been saved from Egyptian slavery. There's a journey to go. They've got a wilderness wandering. They've got a wandering here to reach the, the land of Canaan. There's a walk. There's a journey. When they get the law at Sinai after they've been delivered from their, from their Egyptian uh, taskmasters, now they've still got to reach the land of Canaan. And if we did the second part of this study, as Paul's telling us here, many of them God was not well pleased with. And Paul said they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now that's to serve you and I as a type. We're on a journey. Since we've been baptized, we're not in heaven yet. We haven't reached the promised land yet. We're still involved in the journey and the pilgrimage. And there are things, as Paul is trying to tell us, that can throw us off. That can cause us not to make it, not to enter heaven. And that's what he discusses in the second part of this. And so perhaps when I get another opportunity, we'll study the second part and take them from the Red Sea to the land of Canaan and us from our baptism, hopefully, to life in heaven, to the promised land, the real promised land. These are the types. The lessons yours, I hope the study's been interesting and profitable to you in some way. And maybe you can use this as a tool. You see, it's not just... Uh, it's not just seeing these things for our own benefit. It's getting this knowledge right here and this information where we can sit down and lead others. And so maybe if somebody's wondering, well, why do I need to be baptized to be saved? Maybe you can take this simple analogy sometime. This might be the very thing, the very tool in your tool chest that's going to cause light to shine upon that person that needs to know the way of salvation. Every one of these things we can add to our knowledge are things that are going to benefit us as servants of the Lord. So you need to fill your quiver full of arrows as we study things like this. And then when you need a specific arrow, well, pull it out, or a specific bullet, uh, you'll have that particular item that you need that will maybe be the very evidence that you need to win that soul for Christ and to really lead them to salvation. So these things are all beneficial for us and they're good for our children and I hope this will help us. Let's have the invitation if someone should need the Lord. We want to invite you to come forward. If you wish to obey the Lord in baptism, you have that invitation today to do that. But if you're here in need of prayer and it doesn't have to be for sin, although it could be, if you're just burdened down, if you've got problems and troubles, if you just need the prayers, of brothers and sisters in Christ. We're certainly taught to pray one for another, and the Bible says that the, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we'll have one of the brethren lead all of us in a prayer in your behalf if that's what you need today. As we sing, you're invited to come as we rise. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. 
If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.